Hello, cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 302 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we're talking about mega worlds, super worlds, the, the world championships that, that happened a week ago in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, we're specifically talking about the cross country and short track events that that went down. Uh, it, great races. Elizabeth is here. Zach is here. And myself. And we're going to give you the rundown, the hits, everything that uh, stood out from those events. For episode 303, next time, uh, Bodie's going to be back. And we're going to dive deep, deep, deep into the inner depths of the of the media pit. It's it's going to be a little bit of a bummer show, uh, but one worth listening. And I, there, we, we, I, I say this now for the intro to episode 302 because we've been contacted a lot because I think uh, some of you want to hear our opinions on certain things such as the new transgender policy that the UCI rolled out. Uh, we want to talk about just the devastating loss of Magnus White and, and some other events that are happening. And I, I think it's not necessarily always going to be a fun conversation, but one we want to have. So I just want to put that out there now that we're we're not avoiding these topics. But, you know, I want to make sure that all of us were together and had an opportunity to kind of digest what is going on so we can give you a, a better... Uh, uh, I, 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 it's tough to you know even talk about now. I still need time to, to to think more about this too. But just a better understanding of what where we're coming from for these issues. All that to say is that for this episode, we're we're talking about mountain biking and 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 stoked to do it. Uh, before we get there, this this uh, show is brought to you by Hammerhead. Hammerhead is a sponsor of the Wide Angle Podium and of Cyclocross Radio. I've uh, been on the bike a lot more than I have in maybe a decade. I've been riding pretty much every day. And uh, here's to give you a little history and just to, to age myself. When I, I think the first bike computer I had was probably a cat eye. And you had this long wire that you had to zip tie to your top tube and then down to your rear wheel and it had a little speed sensor there and then if you were super fancy you had another wire coming out of it that you would uh, zip tie to your seat tube and then that would be a little cadence meter this was even before you had to deal with magnets and all that other kind of stuff and and it was innovative it was top of the line it was technology we loved it we didn't know you go back and look at that now and you're like holy cow just for the, the, this just kind of like data we take for granted now, in something like the crew too, it's just insane where that has gone to, and it's 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 something that just uh, boggles my mind every time I turn that on. I am an old man, uh, so what I've loved about this, just sort of on that theme, is just the the efficiency of it and the uh, ability to not think about it. I don't have to think about anything I put in. Uh, I turn it on. I put it to the profile I want for my ride. That's another thing. You just swipe through the, the profiles like it's your phone. Uh, click the one I want. I already have it set up. If I'm doing intervals that day, it's already set up to my my you know average power and my lap numbers and everything else, my heart rate, and I'm just, I'm good to go. 
And then when I get home, I don't even have to do anything. I stop my ride. It's already loaded to Strava. It's already loaded to Training Peaks. It's it's just all there. There's like no thinking to it. I know other computers do that as well, but the Karoo 2 does it seamlessly. And it's it's something that I just really appreciate on that base level. If you go to hammerhead.io and you put the Karoo 2 into your cart, and then you also put the heart rate meter into your cart, and then when you're checking out, you use the code CXRADIO, C-X-R-A-D-I-O, the heart rate monitor is going to be on us. You're not going to pay for that. That's a good deal. You pay for the crew too. You get the heart rate monitor on us. Code is CX radio. The site is hammerhead.io. I mentioned the wide angle podium. That's what cyclocross radio is part of. Uh, thank you for your support. Thanks for supporting the network. <laughs> it's it's huge. It, I I think if you've you've listened to other podcasts, you know that uh, when these really large podcasts came along, the Conan O'Briens of the world and the 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 Smart List and all that kind of stuff, amazing podcasts. But they got millions and millions of dollars in advertising, and that was really cool for them. But they kind of blew up the market. And now I think a lot of, especially with the economy and everything else, a lot of these companies are rethinking how they want to dole out marketing dollars. And they're not necessarily going downstream with that money to podcasters. So it's much tougher. You know, we love Hammerhead. We're glad that they're sponsors, but they are rare at this point. So finding new sponsors is more and more difficult. So we rely on you to help us do what we do for Cyclocross Radio and for the Wide Angle Podium Network. So if you go to wideanglepodium.com, we have a donate button there. It's it's basically a place where you can become a member of the Wide Angle Podium community. You can support the shows that you listen to. You don't you can support all of them, you can just support a selection of them. We hope that you choose Cyclocross Radio. And then that comes back to us. That comes back to pay our server fees. That comes back to pay our uh, travel when we go to races. You know, if, if we want Bodhi to, to continue to do cyclocross television episodes and, and spend that time to shoot video and edit it, that's where we can pull those funds to, to, to make that possible. So go to wideanglepodium.com, hit the donate button. Click on Cyclocross Radio. Throw us your support. And uh, and thank you. Thank you for supporting independent cycling media. Okay. It's episode 302 of Cyclocross Radio. We got Elizabeth. We got Zach. We're talking about super worlds in Glasgow, Scotland. And we're doing all that right now. We're back in the in the media pit with with mountain biking. We're doing mountain biking this week, and then, well, I don't need to say. I'll, I you have heard me say this one minute earlier in the intro that I'll do after we're done with this. But then we're going to do cyclocross next episode. But we're talking about worlds, talking about the Glasgow world. So let's just uh, let's just dive right into this. Oh, Elizabeth's here. Zach's also here. Elizabeth. Um, First thoughts, this is the first ever mega world. So we had everything from cycle ball to the Madison to uh, 
mountain biking and BMX and not cyclocross, but like every other every other uh, cycling discipline in in one place. Initial thoughts just about the the Glasgow Super Worlds. So you know, I was skeptical ahead of time, uh, but I think it gave a level of like Olympics feel to the whole thing that I wasn't expecting. Um, even so far as having things like a medal count table. And I think there was, you know, and to their credit, the Glaswegians turned it out. Uh, the crowds for the road races were really good. Um, really spectacular. The crowds for the mountain bike races looked really good. I mean, the downhill track at Fort William is a legendary track. And uh, despite having atrocious weather, uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people who were really excited for that to make it uh, to a world championship level track, especially in the context of all these other things going on. We had a new track for cross country race. that's not been on the world cup circuit. And so I think there were a lot of, you know, I had question marks in my mind. What's that going to look like? We don't know it. How well do the racers know it? But all in all, I liked it. I have no idea logistically how difficult it would have been to get from place to place. Um, but the, I think the, the biggest takeaway for me was that Olympic feel, which was really cool. I ended up watching a lot of stuff that I would not have watched otherwise. That was kind of my question, Zach. What do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts? I mean, I did not really watch as much, but I saw Elizabeth texting us about everything that she watched. And it seems like it was an opportunity because it's there, you know, and we have streaming services that offer literally everything. If you, you pay the minimal fee for it, you could just be like, I wonder what cycle ball is like. Actually, check that. White Angle Podium contributor Tim was Tim Hayes was texting us from cycle ball. So, like, I mean, we were getting like the the full court press i mean i think like my big skepticism was just with the complaints about logistics and as long as they could handle that and it seems like at least they were able to get fans to the venue i don't know i didn't necessarily hear any complaining from the riders and the federations and stuff about kind of how that went i mean i like i like the idea you know i apropos timing talking about versatility and riders it actually made it really easy for someone like Vanderpool who wanted to do two disciplines and uh, Blanca Vosh who wanted to do two disciplines instead of making them choose and really making it like put out and have these federations be like, ah, you can't do this. You're not allowed to do that, you know, to be like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, go ahead and do it. So I'm all for it for that in the sense that, you know, these riders that want to do mountain bike and want to do a uh, road and perhaps we could see other combinations. You could see perhaps like, a lot of Kopecky could do track and road, uh, you know, you different combinations of, of this and allow riders that opportunity without, with one peak, one peak without having to compete with other disciplines to, to really promote inter, interdisciplinarity, because I think we're living in a golden age of that in cycling. And I think it's one of the best things going in the sport right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think from a, I think Elizabeth hit on it just with the Olympic feel that for, you know, I am never going to watch rowing unless I turn on at least in the past and, and they're having, because that's what always seems to be the early days of the Olympics, you're watching rowing. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And you get into it and you see things. And that's kind of how like, you know, cycle ball and that kind of stuff is. Um, I, I guess I, I was sort of split on if the having the bigger events together, if it took 
if focus was split, like if, fo- if focus was split between the road stuff and the mountain bike stuff, I think downhill kind of got lost. That's what I will say. I think that downhill got lost in this and not having the spotlight just for them, uh, was a little bit of a, of a bummer. And I, I, I think that by the time mountain biking came along for the um, XEO stuff, there may have been some mega world fatigue. So maybe every four years, I think that's the, isn't that the goal every four years? It's, this is a great thing and let's, let's do it. Uh, but I do look forward to just having standalone events, you know, next year. And, and then, well, I mean, then of course we just get screwed up by the Olympics. So yeah, <laughs> it'll be a couple of years, I guess, before yeah. until we get just normal, normal worlds again. Um, yeah, and I think I mean you know to the I, there is for the multidisciplinarians you know somebody like a Vanderpool had some pretty nice spacing between the road race and the mountain bike race. That choice, though, I know there were a few athletes who had planned on it, like Jenny Rizvedz had planned on doing both cross country and the road race. She ended up crashing and not taking the start of either, I believe, but. Uh, for the women elites, that would have been a lot more difficult to manage. Um, and, you know, though you did have some U23s and juniors, uh, of course, Blanca Voss, but also uh, Laura Molengroff um, for the Dutch, who did both the XCO race and the road race. So uh, different choices based on the schedule. Um, but I'm sure if there were... I th- an opportunity for folks to petition if that was something that they wanted in terms of the scheduling, because you did see several people do multiple disciplines, which is a cool proof of concept in and of itself. But do you see I listen though? No. <laughs> the one thing that we didn't see, which could happen in the future at this, look at somebody like Sam Gaze. Could Sam Gaze be pressured by his federation to go help and be a, be a domestique in the road race since, you know, he's a great road racer. He's on a, that's sort of what he's signed to do, even though now he's come back to mountain bike, even though he wants to concentrate more on the, on the mountain bike race. So that'll, that's an interesting, you know, I think, um, conflicting loyalties that, that we didn't see. I, at least we haven't heard about it. That could be, could be a potential in the future. Well, and it would be, I guess that would be an interesting, perhaps, I mean, in a way, it would be like, oh, off-road racing has kind of arrived because they're like, instead of just ignoring it or whatever, they're like, actually, we want to take you and put you on our our road team. So it seems like that would be a sign of respect, but that would be a huge bummer because, you know, spoiler alert, as we're going to get to, things worked out pretty well for him, kind of focusing on the one discipline that, in this particular case, that he focuses on. Yeah, so... Good segue. Let's get to it. Let's uh let's jump right into this. We had I, I mean I think the races that we care about. We can mention the 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 marathon race was sort of interesting that that's happening at the in the same week as well, but you know, just like any other World Cup weekend except it's World Championships. Let's uh let's start with this the short race, the the short track, the XCC. Zach, I'm going to start with you because this is this is like it or not, this is now now your your corner. Track review yeah, I corner. Thought, I thought this course was. Uh, I I will say. Um, I watched the short track after the XCO races, uh, and I spoiler alert thought this was a great XCO course. Like I thought it was unique. I thought it was different. It had a lot of really cool features. Uh, and then I watched the short track race, and I was like, "This court, this is a dud." Like they 
kind of blew it. Like there was a lot of cool stuff uh, at that venue, a lot of like Rudy Rocky type stuff. And it was, which is the one with the, is Lenzerheide the one with just, it goes up, it goes down. Or is that Leo gang? I can never keep it. Okay. It was Leo gang. Course goes up, course goes down. That was the course. It kind of stunk. Agree or disagree, Elizabeth? Yeah, I, I I give it a meh. Um, it didn't. It wasn't super super inspiring. I did. You know, I agree with Zach. Like, there's more you could have played with at this venue um, that they didn't. That seemed to be in the same part of the track, close enough to the start finish. Um, yeah. So the biggest bummer for me is like looking at that finish. It just reminded me of Hama. And I just went back to right the steep up into the hard turn. And it went back to that great race, whatever year it was between Vanderpool and Wout. And I, I feel like that was also a missed opportunity just to have like coming off of like, I mean, it was almost like Hama. There was like a swoopy, like in the wood section. And then you do a hard turn, you know, Hama's a right turn. This was a left. I think that was a missed opportunity. You know, if they had consulted with the media pit, we would have told them to reconsider uh, their finish for the short track. Because instead, it was just a big sweeper into, you know, into a sprint. So that's like maybe my one big complaint. Still led to some drama, which we'll get to. But yeah, agree, agree with you. So I, I think that looking at if you look at the layout of this course and the elevation and everything and it is if it is similar to leo gang then i mean if we start with the women's race kind of played out like that too you know i mean spoiler here pauline fron Bravo takes the win but um i i think she probably employed didn't she win that one as well leo gang is that the one that she won i would assume so <laughs> i can double check that but i think that it was sort of a, a yeah. similar a similar tactic that she was just going to play that play that hill and play it perfectly and sort of hang out until she didn't yeah and she played that really well i mean she was just sat in was never really put her nose in the wind i mean it was it was a pretty fast race i mean i noted that you know the women did only one fewer lap than the men so i mean it was they were moving and there were attacks and stuff but she was never really putting her nose into the wind and just kind of hanging out and then on the last climb she just it was like another level. I mean, you watch her just accelerate away from, from Evie and Puck, and it was just like, oh, wow. Like, that was, I mean, she just, that's kind of what she does, you know, when she makes her move. And it was just, I have vintage Ferran Prevot winning a short track race on, on a climb like that. You're right. That's the one Pauline did win this year. Yeah. And I thought that because that's the one that, you know, it didn't play out the same as that race completely, but it, it was the one where I think we were all scratching our, heads after the weekend with puck wondering how it is that this cyclocross star who's known for these short explosive you know efforts is able to destroy souls in the longer xco race yet somehow i mean she has won but like with races like this hasn't figured out how to win because she won leo gang and was able to control on all the hills yet when it's a short effort on the hills is that the is that the answer that that that's something that she just can't sustain or or can't be pauline at it right and pauline knows i think pauline knows how to peak for things uh she definitely knows how to peak for world championships that much is clear um and who knows maybe that Leo Gang, she had done her homework on studying the world's course 
and knew that this was uh, in a, her brain alone, maybe a secret test event for worlds. And it was also, I mean, it was kind of interesting too, that I think the women were after the men. I mean, and so she mm-hmm. also got to observe, I mean, Sam Gaze did the, the exact same thing. If you watch it, there was like the first climb and, someone they could kind of stick with them and then they made that right hand turn to go up to the steep part and that's where both riders just like exploded away it was like vintage like you watch it it was the same space because puck was with her and then she just makes that right hand turn accelerates right into it and like went away so i don't know maybe it's like i would assume she did her homework (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but you know an opportunity where the the women were were after the men and it was a very similar finish right it was going to come down to that climb anything else worth talking about with the women in the short track or should we uh move on over since we already sort of already tipped it there a little bit zach just uh with sam gaze all he does is win cross-country short track world championships and yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm sort of at a loss for words cause I still don't know how to figure out Sam gaze. This is a guy who had a, you know, just as a, a junior and coming up was just up and coming star. I mean, I think the race that everybody remembers is him out sprinting Nino to win the world cup in South Africa. And then just kind of like, gone for a little bit and just you know just Mm -hmm. just couldn't figure it out and then every once in a while he just shows up and there's just these these signs of just like greatness from him like this and even even in the cross-country race which we'll talk about where it's like where does this come from and he looks like one of the best race he is one of the best racers in the world but it's just like it's not always there it's just wild I, i i yeah he's he's an enigma yeah, he's just, I mean, I, and I think, you know, if you watch any of his interviews, he's a really serious guy. And uh, part of his, you know, absence from the sport was some pretty hefty concussion recovery um, that took a pretty heavy mental toll. And I think, uh, you know, not to be uh, overlooked, like that's, that can end up resulting in some hit or miss times in a future racer for, for someone. But I think there's also, you know, to your point, Bill, like I'm not surprised that he took the short track title. I was surprised with how well he did in the cross country race and pleasantly, like he had so much fight in him and it's, it's a good, I think, I feel like his comeback story, as it were, uh, has been a long one. And it keeps kind of coming and not sticking and kind of coming and not sticking. But it's, it's, it's so it's, it's a, I, I don't think it's linear. Um, but every time he does well, I think it's, it's great to see because he does take that badge of honor of being the first one to unseat Nino on his insane winning streak. Yeah. And I, I just want to throw this in here, Zach, that um, if I were listening to me talk about this, I'd be yelling at me listening to it saying he did win last year. Uh, so he, he is a back-to-back XCC championship. So it's not like completely out of nowhere, you know, I mean, he did, he did have the, the rainbows last year as well. Okay. 
I, I was more just wondering if it, if he qualifies for all he does is win championships yet because he just has two. Like, I don't. I just. I, I don't know. Uh, the people can can make a judgment. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the way he looked, he looked phenomenal. And I think we were talking earlier in the season is that for two years now, the heir apparent has still not stuck. You know, some guys will do well on the men's side. We still don't know. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to be the second best rider behind Tom Pitcock. Uh, and when Tom Pitcock isn't there, it's a really kind of carve out a niche in the men's field. And so he looked great. He looked phenomenal, but it was a more punchy course. So, like, you know, can he extend that past doing that on like a course like Novamesto and a course like this? You know, can he do that? But he looked he looked so good uh, doing this. But I mean, I guess the other thing we'd be remiss if we didn't visit controversy corner uh, a little bit. Literally towards the yes, con- <laughs> we had two controversy corners. We have literally two controversy corners to talk about uh, at this race. Um, I don't know, Elizabeth, I think you have the best way of, of describing Pidcock and his approach to racing mountain biking uh, in terms of, uh, you know, his approach. Yeah, so I think I've, I've compared Tom Pidcock's uh, mountain bike moving up style to certain roller derby players before where he's able to find space on the inside through guys who are bigger than he is where no one else can find space to make a pass. And he just kind of works his way through. And I've watched smaller jammers in roller derby do this. And it's, it's, it's cool to watch. Um, And usually he gets away with it without incident, though probably in ways that frustrate his competitors, but uh, he usually doesn't take them out. And this, this time, uh, Schwartzbauer was not so lucky. Uh, in fact, he was deeply, deeply unlucky going from setting up for a sprint finish to not being in contention whatsoever um, from a, uh, a, a quite snug pass. Uh, but Zach, I feel like before when we were in the green room, you compared it to something we don't have camera coverage of that we all are dying to know if this is similar to a situation that happened in 2022. So, ah, uh, yes, yes, the one that we still don't because it was like we kind of saw it, and I was watching, and I'm like, all right, we'll get the long shot, and they'll show what happened, right? They they must have had a camera on this. We never really. No, it's so like the so drone. Like, the drone. That was it, right? Yeah. Well, back, so to, like, back to my argument about they too much too much uh, reliance on these drones. Uh, so it's kind of I mean it's kind of interesting, right? Like we have uh, our friends over at Criterium Nation, and if this had happened during a Criterium, it's the kind of thing that we would be reading about on the news because there would be another fight among the men. I mean, I think it was of that level. Uh, cyclocross, we'd probably be talking about it for an entire episode. Uh, you know, was it was it dirty? I mean, it was. I, I, did he? T- it's hard to tell what happened. Like, did he touch his wheel? Because I feel like anytime you make a pass and then like you cause them to like you hit it, any part of the the side of their bike, like that's to me that's dirty, right? If you pass them and then they bump into you and fall, like that's on you. Um, but you know, my other reaction was that Schwartzbauer should have listened to the media pit, and we always talk about protecting your lines, especially when you know. That the slithering eel um, of Tom Pidcock. That's my analogy. But Elizabeth, that was the best roller derby mountain bike crossover I've ever heard. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but I, I think 
Yeah, we don't know. But I also I, I also do think that there is some responsibility on Schwartzbauer here, as as we were saying. If you're going to give – you know Pitcock is in that group, and you know he's not in front of you. So if you're if you're going to leave that door open, he's he's coming through it, and, and you got to be prepared for it. So we don't even know. I mean, it could have just been a touch of, like, handlebars. It could have been just something as insignificant as that, but becomes significant when you when you go down. But, yeah, it definitely would be interesting to see that again. And, and, and you know, when we were talking about it before we started recording, the thing that it reminded me of was the World Championship pass when uh, Nino came around fluky in the last corner of the race, and it was, like, super sketchy. And we talked about that for a really long time. And, you know, I think came to the same conclusion that that was up to, to Fluky to be able to close that door. And, and he didn't, you know, and he was pissed off about it. But in the end, I think that, uh, at this level, if you're going to give people an inch, they're going to take, you know, an inch and one centimeter. And that may be the difference between you being upright and, and, and not, but I don't know. It's cool to have Pidcock in these races. I think that for short track the and we'll talk about him because he's going to be a storyline in the XEO at least for a little bit uh the greatest short track racer ever in mountain biking because the discipline is not very old at the UCI level is Matthew Vanderpool you know and it'd be amazing to to see him back in there because unlike if we're talking about Puck who somehow is a cyclocross racer who hasn't Again, she's won short track races, but doesn't we just seem like we want her to dominate at everything? Uh, all right, there there was a year I think he didn't lose a short track race, so you know he sort of had that same streak that he would do in cyclocross in short track. So it'd be, it would it would be co- sort of cool to get him back into the uh, into the, the 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 world championship level, but I think that that's a tougher one. Well, no. How how did it work for short track? I'm sorry that I don't know this. I should know this. How did you qualify for the short track race? Was it? I don't know that you needed to. So it was just anybody could being be yeah. selected okay. by your nation. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't the same as the World Cup thing. And I do think that Vanderpool had it uh, potentially had it in his plans and decided not to do it based on recovering from yeah. the road race and wanting to do the the cross country race. Um, because he was at the venue and he was on course, um, but maybe wanted an extra day. I guess rest. I was a little surprised that Pitcock did it, and I thought it was cool that he did. Uh, it seems like with him and Evie, there was some knowledge of the the gravity of the situation of racing. Yeah, for sure. At home, and you could tell like the emotions and like just that. That there was some acknowledgement that like this really, really, really matters. Yeah, and I'm sure they were getting pressure to do as much as they, you know, be as visible as possible sure. to be out there racing. Should mention Evie ended up third in the XCC race for the women, and for mentioning that, uh, Gwendolyn Gibson, you know, right off the podium, but great race in in fourth place, uh, and Sevilla Blanc in eighth place. Probably some of the highlights for that for the. American team along with uh, Riley Amos, who got fourth in the men's U23. I think those were kind of the top results. Well, it's wild. I was just kind of thinking for uh, for Gwynny the Pooh, it's like fourth place and it's like kind of a disappointment after finishing third last year. <laughs> you know, if, if you had told her at the beginning of last year, hey, you're going to finish fourth in short track world, she'd be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But then like she finished third at Worlds in 1-1. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, and it was, you know, in this race, it's so spread out, you know? It's like yeah. Pauline won was a four-second gap to Puck in short track, and then a nine-second gap to Evie, and a 15-second gap to, to fourth place for Gibson. That's that's not a normal... It's Those are big <laughs> gaps for yeah. short track. When you have a 20-minute race, that's a big gap. Yeah. All right. Should we move over to the uh, the cross-country racing? Sure. Zach, since you since you already started with the uh with the short track, you you seem to and you already sort of tipped your cards here. You like this course. I did. I did. I thought it was a really I mean, I think that there's set courses and we see them every year. And so it's interesting. Like I loved the course last year in Brazil. Like that was really unique and cool. And I thought they really showcased it really well. You know, there's some of the traditional courses that really aren't that special and you can tell riders don't really super duper look forward to riding them but this one just looked it looked fun to ride like it it had a lot of really unique things it had some flow i really loved the section in the woods especially that downhill off camber like through the woods i thought that was just such a killer section and you know that's a different skill for descending you know it's something that we see more in in cyclocross kind of like an off camber descent with really sketchy uh, terrain you saw riders making gaps there i mean he had like the rocks uh bills and I'll, I'll say rock corner for bill uh but then you had like that gap jump that was pretty cool visually uh i just thought it was a really interesting well-balanced course with some interesting features and i think they mentioned this on the broadcast but it passed the test of i want to ride that you know and i think that engages you more when you look at a course and you're like yeah actually i would go 100 percent. i would go ride this course yeah i think too you know it's in in looking at some of that, something that I found interesting in a few sections that there were actually more like a cyclocross course where it's taped to have some interesting line choices that don't seem obvious. Um, the it's it's pretty early on in the lap, and there's a wide line which is on the single track where there's a course that's really nicely tread in. And you see a whole bunch of riders, the majority of the field, cut the turn and go up the steeper, looser, much more difficult looking line um, to the point where it, you know, I, I don't remember where I, I saw this or if it was on the commentary, but somebody was saying that like that was something that sort of emerged during the course preview time that they weren't expecting that that would happen, but it wasn't taped off. And so riders did that. And that's pretty rare to see in a cross country mountain bike course um, that you like, well, nobody's telling me I can't. Uh, so we're going to try that. And I think, you know, Zach, you're right. I think this definitely passes the, do I want to ride it test? Do I want to climb all of the double track to get to that? Absolutely not, but that's fine. Um, I would do that slowly and then do the rest of it for fun. I think that, you know, I, I love watching Puck's course previews um, on her GoPro because she's hilarious, but also because, you know, she walks through all of the course features and seeing it, you know, a few days before you get to see a lot of the stuff that never makes the broadcast and a lot of that stuff in the woods, the off camber, the line choices there. She was scoping out, like, is this line faster than that line? <laughs> Some of that stuff was, uh, again, pretty cool. And on a less established course, you have more decision-making from riders that's happening on the fly um, than somewhere where, like a Novamesto, where you have two lines taped off, 
pick this one, pick that one, you know the consequences of either one. Yeah, that's kind of what I think I was, I, I thank you for completing my thoughts, is just that it's a course they haven't ridden, it's new. They don't know how some of the features are going to ride. There's not 10 years of figuring out like, oh, okay, we need to like do this or force them to go there. Uh, and it just adds that element of interest and intrigue. I think the same thing from cyclocross when we have these new world cup courses that are showing up and you're like, some stuff gets kind of janky. Cause you know, they just haven't dialed in. Here's where you're going to ride on every line. And I think that's a really uh, neat feature. And I'm glad that you like articulated it better than it's interesting. Yeah. And some of the B lines here are like really B lines, like really a lot slower really, you know, riders were only using them if, you know, you saw Pauline using one when she really had a well-established gap. Um, I think there was one where Nino used it once. He is notorious for being able to make a beeline faster, but he used it, I think, to drop back. I think he didn't want to be in the lead and he used it to change position strategically because it was slower. Um, and so, you know, it, I, I think I heard that with that, the man, the gap jump over the rock, that was initially, there was no B line and they wanted to make that a mandatory gap. And then they changed the course to add a B line for that. Um, but yeah, you definitely, like these were B lines with true penalties for taking the B line time. Well, you know, Nino, Nino has his B line challenge that we, we watch. So he, he definitely has to test those out. But I, I, I love the, the, the point that you all are making about, this being a new course. And the other thing that it does is it takes away the race book from the veterans and from the coaches. You know, you don't have the coach that was like, I raced this 15 years ago. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go race this line because it's been proven that this is the quickest line and we're just going to session this where they don't have that knowledge. I'm sure, you know, people in the UK and around there, May, but of course, this course was just built, so they didn't either. So nobody really did. So you're coming in there fresh, and everybody kind of has to work collaboratively to to figure it out. And then, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, it's like, isn't that uh, the Buddhist saying about mountain bikers are like water? You know, they'll just they'll just sort of find the find where to go. Um, and and that's what happened. And you know, they were they were creating lines where there weren't lines anymore. And that's that's what makes it exciting. You know, it's it, it's of course is going to be a huge gamble. I mean, we see this again to go back to cyclocross. We see this in that you want to have a test event. You want to make sure that your course works the way it's supposed to work. And sometimes you don't have that opportunity. And in this instance, it, it worked out fine. And it was, it was really good. The one thing that I'll add to this, you know, we're talking about a lot of these downs and the gap jumps and everything. And I hate beating up Leo gang, but the one difference, you know, you're talking about those double track, climbs here at least they turned and at least they had some switchbacks here, here and there which just you know you had to put in a different effort it wasn't just a constant effort up these climbs and the other and what for me i like is it makes for really good tv you know you had that thing we'll get to it in the men's race when you had the top two fighting it out and all of a sudden Pidcock like peeps around the corner and you're like, Oh, there he is. As opposed to the Leo gang, you know, here's the gap from up on high and we can see where everybody is and maybe they'll close it down where it's, it's much more dynamic climbing, which is, I, I think is a huge part of 
mountain biking that sometimes, at least the entertainment of it, that's sometimes overlooked. Like you can have compelling races going uphill as much as you can downhill. Just just make it more interesting. Yeah, it created drama. I mean, there is a, you know, one of the places too where there's a, you know, one of the split time markers is about two thirds of the way up the climb. And so you get the, the split time marker and you still have the rider in the shot who's made it through that first. You have the rider who's further back and then you have the corner where they turn around at the very bottom. And, you know, with gaps of anywhere from eight to about 20 seconds, you could see them. And but in a way that created drama, not in a way where you're relying on this extreme foreshortening and trying to just puzzle out how close are they, um, which is really it's really fun. So let's talk about these races a little bit. Zach, let's talk about some French domination. Let's start with the with the women. What I mean, what <laughs> what is there to say about this race? Well, I, for me, the first thing I'll say, you know, Elizabeth mentioned uh, Puck's course preview and i think that she's established what her playbook is and uh, it rained a little bit it was a little slick and i thought puck was really bad technically like it was like kind of cringe it was almost like as uh, not cringe but it was like the same thing with the off camber uh when she just totally missed her line or whatever but she was like visibly slower and it seemed like it really gummed up you know, her ability to do what she wanted to do, like what she's done in these other races. And I guess that's just part of the progression that it's weird that, right. She is like much more technically gifted than Femme Empel. And yet in these mountain bike races, she's been winning with almost her fitness because she, you can see like the distances she has to go. Um, but I also give uh, LeCompte tons of credit for knowing what the playbook, knowing what was going to happen and getting up there and really doing what she needed to do it to at least be in the position to win. Um, so I thought, I, I thought the first lap and a half or whatever was interesting and a little surprising, I guess. I also, so I wonder if 2023 Puck is a little bit 2022 Loana LeCompte because Loana's world's performance coming out of being extremely dominant I think was there was a there was a similar feeling there where it's like you are the odds on favorite and then worlds happens and you don't just you just don't look quite as sharp like maybe the routine's a little different maybe you've been going too hard for too many in a row um but yeah puck didn't have the same level of sharpness to her riding that she has in the world cups so far or the european championships for that matter i think somewhere mid race it clicked for her and she turned back around and started looking better in like the last 3 laps she started looking better again the last lap in particular to manage the podium spot um when given quite a lot of heat for it um but but yeah she didn't look as sharp um i wondered with the french if there was a bit of a team tactic going on at the beginning of the race to have loana bait puck into pushing too fast at the start and then loana gets a gap and then pauline manages to close down and just cruise right on past Luana to keep going into the lead and establishing a gap. 
And I wondered that mostly because of the reaction at the finish line when Loana finishes in second and is stoked as hell. And immediately the two of them are jumping up and down, hugging it out. Um, it felt to me like maybe there was some intention behind how the race played out for the French uh, in the way they set that up. I would love to believe that. <laughs> That's an interesting thought because we've definitely speculated when Ferran Prevost was, you know, on her trajectory of being one of the greatest mountain bikers of all time. And Lecomte came in and just started winning everything from her and was like, oh, hey, hey, you know, hi, grandma, like kids here or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you would hope that that they're doing that. I, I'm curious if it was the other way around, if Pauline would have been excited for Loana, although I guess she's won. I'd nine mountain bike world championships at this point so I, maybe she's good you know she had eight <laughs> that would have been eight going into this race so maybe she's she's okay and, and cool with it um but yeah really cool to see i mean it's awesome to see that lecomte finally delivered at worlds you could just see how excited she was and we've talked a lot about performing at on the highest stage and she did and you could see how stoked she was and so that was really really cool to see and i thought she raced the I mean, I thought she did what she needed to do and put herself in a position to win. It's just that Ferran Prevost was on a mission. And Lecomte looked great. Yeah, and that's kind of the funny thing is that we're looking at Loana Lecomte coming in second almost as it's a disappointment. That's like her best world's finish. She's only been doing this a couple of years. She's 24, you know, coming into this race. it's it's It seems just from that season, that was just so astonishing. I think we just almost forget how how new to her this is, you know, and, and second place isn't bad, especially as a, as, as someone from France, you know, it's, it's the Polador spot. So she's, uh, <laughs> she's right up there. And I'm going to say out of the top three, like, I think technically she looked the best on this course. I think she looked, you know, if you just watch side by side, the three of them going over the gap jump, like Loana's got the best form on that of the three of them. Yeah. yeah I, I, I still, you know, and, and Zach mentioned it, earlier about or no actually you did elizabeth about just being able to peak for these championships pauline does that to perfection i I still just remember seeing her in what was it last november racing cyclocross in 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 europe and just looking like the worst bike racer you've ever seen in your i mean just not only did the bike not work but just like no fitness just having an awful time just just super unhappy about the whole thing and now she's you know the best in the world there's something there's something in that periodization i guess bill i i've just been dying to ask you this question and uh it just comes to mind because i mean Ferran Prevost she's been okay. Like she finished second at Nova Mesto. I think she won a short track. I think last year she hadn't like finished on a podium, at least in an XCO race the entire season. Uh, and yet worlds Pauline Ferran Prevost. I mean, she's just like racking up. She has six world championships in the last year. Do we need to give the Chris Carter title belt to Ferran Prevost? Why would you want someone like that? All she does is win world championships. Yeah. But is it, I, I feel sure. like it might be time to, I think it oh, might yeah. be time no. to give that to Ferran Prevost. She definitely gets the, the, the Chris Carter award and Elizabeth being in Philadelphia, you should, you should know the reference, but you may not. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, just for folks who don't remember, I think this originated in the car at Bowensa, actually. I'm pretty sure that that's driving from Bowensa to Odense. Uh, Bill made the reference to Matthew Vanderpool of all he does is win championships. And that was the origin. And so Vanderpool had had the title, which is funny because he just won. You know, he's almost unified the three of them. But, I mean, Fran Provost performance at mountain bike worlds it's just can i, can I just break in and it's... tell people what the what the actual reference is oh yes the, yes uh, buddy buddy ryan was a coach of the philadelphia eagles years ago he had chris carter who was just a phenomenal wide receiver but he really didn't play buddy's system so he, you know he didn't like the way that he blocked or he took off some plays or something but the thing that chris carter did was he caught touchdown passes always big touchdown passes if you needed a score you threw it to chris carter he was going to find a way for it they traded him and the reason that they traded him the quote from buddy ryan is why would you want a guy like that all he does is catch touchdown passes which is one of the all-time great sports quotes Go on. Philadelphia <laughs> is a cursed place to be a sports fan. <laughs> yeah. And, and as a lifelong one, I just, you know, is what it is. Is what it is. Uh, so we had a couple really great rides from the Americans. You know, I thought Gwendolyn Gibson finished eighth and Sevilla, two great rides. I mean, finished 10th. Finished uh, so it was really, really cool to, to see, you know, them do well. And it just seems like, to me, it seems like, Gwendolyn Gibson has some potential and really hope that, you know, she's shown it in the short track and if she can continue to develop the skills necessary in terms of like climbing and whatnot to, to really break through, it seems like she's on the verge. Her trajectory is going up and it seems like I don't think we've seen the last from her and she's still very, very young and she's experiencing that success. And we know what happens when you experience success, like it breeds more. So I'm really excited just to see, it just seems like her trajectory coming out of no one knowing who she was to being like, Oh, she might be our, I mean, Haley was injured, but you know, I mean, she has a legit chance to be a star. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad to see Sevilla get some time on the world stage too. I think that's kind of, it was, you know, She's a great rider, but I think people were maybe surprised when she took the national title a year ago as she's unseating people who are on big factory teams and she was kind of not. She was kind of not on the World Cup circuit. And to see her be able to sort of parlay some success on the world stage and and do really well at a world championship is also great um, because I think sometimes there's... We have a lot of questions about what success in the U.S. means for uh, a mountain bike racer on the world stage unless they're really racing the World Cup circuit. And so it's good to see her get the chance to do that a little bit more. Yeah, and if if you go back to the episode before this one, I actually chatted with Sevilla and and one of the things that we talked about a little bit because I was asking about how she thought her season was going and she was like, not well. It's not going well at all. And she was really disappointed because she had some early season success. And then once she arrived in Europe, I think she did great in the Spanish races that she was in, but then got to the World Cup and just, just couldn't put it together and just did not have the races that she thought she was going to have and and kind of like shut it down and went back home and, and kind of regrouped and is really looking to start again for this the second half of the season and what a great way to to start that out with this world's performance so i think you know we'll we'll see and hopefully this reset that she did and just getting her training set and getting back her fitness um um 
this will be i think you're right zach this will this will be a good thing going forward just to see that success beget success uh one nice thing to see is uh you know i think we we briefly touched on the fact that olympic bike worlds meant there was a marathon race as well Mona Mitterwalner taking the rainbow jersey in the marathon race and then uh, doing once again what she's kind of becoming infamous for in cross-country races, which is showing up on the last lap out of nowhere. Uh, And she really gave Puck a run for her money for that third spot on the podium. And, you know, I was I was joking with a friend afterwards, like maybe at some point her coaches will figure out, like, maybe we need to send Mona out for a race before the race, because then she'll be warmed up. Because I think, you know, we've had hot takes here on comparisons to Clara Hansinger in the past or like what is wrong with her start. And I'm starting to think it's not actually anything wrong with her start. She's just really wired for endurance and uh, she's warmed up way deeper into the race than most of her competition. And I think that's kind of, you know, I I don't know if that'll work out for her in a way that she figures out, like, maybe I actually do just want to race longer distance stuff. Um, but it's, you know, regardless of where it goes, she's clearly really good in the latter half of a race. And uh, the drama we were talking about, about the course, earlier and some of these climbs it was definitely a like oh my god there's mona uh where'd you come from like there's been a great battle for bronze here between a bunch of people that weren't you and here you are and you're going to be the one that potentially takes this podium spot um after not being in the in the game until yeah all all the old heads listening to this podcast on their eight tracks yelling at it right now going this is why cross-country races are supposed to be three hours long I mean, I'm one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that just marathon mountain biking? Well, it is. It is now. It is now. I mean, you can watch that. Well, you can't probably can't watch it. I think that'd be that's the problem. But that's that is kind of the joking aside. That is kind of the problem that the prestige race now is this 75 minute made for TV race versus where it used to be a a three hour plus race uh going uh, just before we get to the men some other results worth noting i think one of the biggest especially for us in the cyclocross world isabella holmgren another one doubling up going uh cyclocross world champion turning it around and mountain bike world champion just amazing marin Lowe, who um i got to see in uh fayetteville they were uh out there racing great up and coming racer. She gets second at the world championship in the junior ranks behind, uh, Bello, just, just really great results there. Go over to the women's U 23 race, Samara Maxwell. I mean, Elizabeth, I know you've, you've seen her results before and it was not a surprise for you, for the rest of us. It was like just taking what we thought were the best racers in the world and are the best racers in the world. And just, absolutely destroying them winning this race by a minute just uh just such a just a great a great performance you know yeah great and and i mean and her joy at winning it too yeah. was was delightful um you know and again team new zealand great job um but i think you know that it's almost more like the surprise there was uh sophie heavy peterson not yes. winning yes um 
And Sammy Maxwell has had some very good podium finishes in the mix with the rest of that Swiss podium. But uh, it was to see her kind of almost disbelief at the win was also really a a joyful uh, moment. And a great go go watch the highlights, but also go watch the post race interview with her. I'm not sure if that's on YouTube or not, but just such a refreshingly awesome interview, just the joy that she had. And also I think, I think one of the questions was something like, so were you suffering out there? And she was like, no, I was having fun. I was trying to enjoy this. I'm not about suffering. This shouldn't be about suffering. You know, it's that, it's that mindset that we always hear that people want to emulate and that she actually somehow put into practice and, you know, I, I do think like the interviewer was like, so you could have done another lap. She was like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> so that it's really, yeah. Great. So that was a, that was a one, yeah. really wonderful race. I, I was texting these guys and doing like, what the hell is happening in the women's U 23 race? <laughs> uh, men's U 23, Charlie Aldridge, interesting, um, uh, strategy for him, which I think really paid off. He had been, has been, I'm sure he'll go back, was racing elites all year long and doing well. I mean, top 10 finishes, you know, really up there and, and fighting uh, for the podiums. Uh, went back to his his um, normal category, uh, U23 men, and I, I think that, that really paid off for him because I think he was racing as if this was an elite race and really took control of that race. And, um, yeah, great win for him. Uh, you know, Dario Lilo was uh, – third in that i think he may have been the other guy you were looking at for a favorite so just um some really nice races up and down the categories in in this world yeah uh i mean shout out also to not just isabella holmgren but her brother as well putting together a sibling team performance canada doing really nice uh in that relay i think a little bit unexpectedly actually fighting for the podium in the in the team relay um and then also Blanca Vaz, uh, who comes in fifth in the U23 race, as well as doubling up and winning the U23 road title. Um, those women are grouped in with the elite women. She had some good spicy takes on the UCI giving the U23 women their own field someday because... She's like, I don't get to cross the line first, so it's kind of a bummer, but I guess I'm the world yeah. champ now. It's a huge bummer. It's not kind of. It's, it, it stinks. It's a huge they bummer. Their, it's a huge bummer. Their own race. All right, Zach. Let's talk about the men's XCO race. All right. I think we have like seven minutes. Bill okay. Said gets I know. I put, I, put this, I put this hard out at 60 minutes. We'll see how we do. Um, I, I, I guess the, the gridding. I mean, we got to start from yes. the start. The, the gridding controversy i mean i felt like we criticized flanders classics when they came up with their weird rule they're like oh if you're i i, I don't know the letter of the law but they, if you're really good at another discipline you can start on the third or the fourth row third okay third row we'll just give you a spot and you're like okay well that's kind of silly you know we were kind of insulted by it because we're like oh you know you're trying to get like pujakar to come like race cyclocross and like have you know the novelty of it but there was a rule like it was written down uh this one I, I i wasn't following it super closely was this just very like bill was this very arbitrary and capricious to to borrow a legal term yeah it's, i i think it was okay <laughs> i mean sagan benefited from it so it was definitely arbitrary Wait, did he though 
Because, you know, wow. he wasn't able to do his Brazilian, I'm going to start 30 feet behind the last row, get a running start, and then just kind of slingshot through the, uh, through the field, which was, you know, a great tactic that he used in the Olympics that one year. True, true, true. It is a but, good tactic. I will but, say I used that at like during my comeback season. I was gridded last row at the Trek Cup and I, I did that and it worked really nice. I passed like 20 people in like the first minute. So he's on to something. <laughs> Other argument for it being arbitrary, though, is Blanc Vast does not get to benefit from this in the women's race. It is clearly being done for the celebrity of Pidcock, Vanderpool and Sagan. Yeah. So all, all three of them start in the fifth row i guess as we we get into this the the question is did it matter i mean let, let's just go let's just do this we'll just go one by one sagan it didn't matter because we knew he wasn't his his mountain bike skills have not improved since since uh, rio is is that fair to say i think that's fair Apparently he's going to start doing it more. So good. For yeah. Him. So maybe maybe this is just this was his you know just his. He seems dip, to miss the memo that he should be doing gravel. <laughs> he was he's supposed he was, to be doing gravel. He just clearly <laughs> missed the memo. When you're old and washed up, you do gravel. Also, he's listen to Grodio. Also, it's good that he's not an American because we don't put people on the team just to get experience at World Championships. So he would not have made it. Um, moving on to Fire! moving on to Matthew <laughs> Vanderpool. I I made this comment in our text chain about Matthew. Matthew Vanderpool crashed out of this race. Matthew Vanderpool crashed out of this race in the most weird and innocuous place on the course. It wasn't on a free feature. It wasn't on a technical section. He just washed out on a right turn and slid on his side. And he, I, I know we have five minutes left. We can go a little long because we have to have this discussion. He is a world champion in road, yet he crashed in that race in the exact same way. Can has Does he have like the yips? Can Matthew Vanderpool not turn right anymore? Is he a NASCAR driver? Left turns only? What is going on with Matthew Vanderpool? Maybe he's going to go race on the track and we just don't know it yet. I, I It just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, you know, b- between the Olymp- Olympics and the, the ramp and then this thing, I... It is a bummer because I think he was actually looking quite yeah. sharp. I think he actually would have had a pretty good race. And I think... The crash in and of itself would not necessarily have set him back enough to matter, except for the fact that he fell on the same ankle he had fallen on in the world championships. And that probably hurt a lot, (laughs) Uh, which is what he said. He's like, yeah, it just hurt. And at that point, cut your losses, be done. All all joking aside, I hope this isn't the end for Vanderpool in mountain biking because he's really good. He has good technical skills and he has like... Hey, guess what, everyone? He's he's got a really big engine, and he's powerful. Yeah. So I, I'd I'd love to have him back in in the sport. Okay, so we've gone through Sagan, we've gone through Vanderpool, Zach, Pidcock. Would it have been any different if he was ten rows further back, five rows further back? So that's a great question. I mean, it it took him a long time to get to the front. 
Like it took him maybe was it flat five or six of eight, right? Which to was get to the front. Like, so is that an high- argument that the fifth row didn't matter, or was that an argument that the fifth row meant he got there? quicker you know what i'm saying like he he still was able to pass the number of people he was able to pass to get to the point where he had to gap i guess it just would have been a longer fight to close that gap so i was going the direction of arguing that it did benefit him that perhaps if he had started at the back maybe he wouldn't have made it maybe i thought i was really impressed you know because he was getting hero cam i was really impressed by how composed he was I was really impressed by his knowledge that like, hey, I'm Tom Pitcock. I have to do this every time I race mountain bikes. I know how to do this. And like he wasn't doing anything sketchy. Like he was picking up the spots where he needed to. He was kind of like sitting in where he needed to. You know, he had that one burst of a climb where he passed four dudes in like an instant, which was pretty sick. Um, But I thought it like gave him the opportunity to really not screw up. I think there's more opportunities to do Tom Pitcock things. We've also seen Tom Pitcock make bad decisions when he's roller derbying his way through the field. So I think he benefited. Would he probably still be the world champion even if he started on the last row? Yes. I think potentially somebody who lost out on this is Sam Gaze because he was starting behind those three now. And he would have had an advantage over Pidcock for a little while at the beginning of the race, a little bit longer, enough to be the world champion. Again, I don't know. I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Pidcock was going to take the win uh, in rewatching. But I do think, you know, if you're talking about who's a loser on this end, Sam Gaze loses out a bit on this arbitrary rule. Wait, he started on the sixth row? Yep. Does he? How? Didn't have enough points. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, and we've seen him do this. Uh, Heide, right? I mean, same thing, mm-hmm. you know, coming back. And uh, even in the short track, he crashed in the short track and was able to, like, work his way back up to almost the podium. And then in the uh, – I think he was up to – I think he took the lead at Heide in the cross-country racer for a little while before falling back. But same kind of thing, just, just being able to – close people down so that that is that i think that that is the strongest uh argument and why the letter from the riders uh was written to the uci asking what the hell's going on why are we doing this if you're going to do this at least have a rule and tell us about it beforehand yeah yeah i mean that's like the most frustrating thing is that they can make rules I don't know. You just see this like in institutions that are very slow, they can make decisions really quickly when it benefits them or when they have a reason to, and they can be very arbitrary and just, you're like, oh, oh, so you can act quickly when you want and look, to. Like, I don't think any of those guys wouldn't have raced. I think they would have all accepted their starting position. Yeah. I think Pickock even, I mean, he issued a statement and he was like, yeah, this is kind of... I'm just going to pretend he said bollocks because he's British. So, (laughs) (laughs) which is, Um, which, which is sort of his character. I I don't see him as being a guy who's like, you have to, you know, he doesn't want an advantage from everyone. He wants to, he wants to sort of scrap. And that's, that's, that's what he did. Uh, So, Sam Gaze ended up in second place. He was able to just drop Nino 
which was pretty impressive. I mean, just the power on these climbs was really amazing from Gaze. I, I just, I, he's, he's going to be exciting going forward. I hope he keeps his form. I hope that we have something a little different uh, moving forward. Koretsky. Great weekend for Koretsky. Is he, oh, do I even say it, Zach? Does, no, not, it can't be. I mean, it can't, it but can't it's good be. to see him. Like it was great. Yeah. Like when we when he left us, he was so good, and then he he left us, and to see those flashes of it was great. I, I had the same thought. I'm like, hey, welcome back, buddy. Yeah, and and in both short track and cross country too. Like he had two really good races, and I think seeing that, and you know, I would not have pinned him as the top French finisher for them, and I would have picked Saru, and to see him really, you know, turn around a good weekend was awesome. It's going to be really interesting getting back on the World Cup uh, calendar to races maybe people have done before, because other than Nino, and I guess maybe get yeah other than Nino up there it's it's kind of it was like a different it wasn't the people that we were seeing all year long you know the Schwartzbauer was ninth place uh Flukiger was 12th place Thomas Griot's had a great year was down there what like 13th place so it, it was it's that's what I found really fun about this and maybe it was just this brand new course that people hadn't figured out and everybody's so dialed that they know how to race these things so it had opened up to other other riders but it was it was interesting who was up there and who who the players were so th- that part was fun uh but I think you're also right Elizabeth that Pitcock win was kind of a foregone conclusion the guy I mean Zach we know he was born to do this and he certainly seems to be the the strongest one out there. Um, you wrote an article about this. Thank you for asking about that. <laughs> I was not going to leave this conversation because I understand that everyone that was for that was free. You can actually we we send out our mountain bike content is usually free. So if you're not a subscriber to the CX Harris Bulletin, we usually give that away to everyone. Um, we'd love to have you a subscriber too. But um, I'm I, I'm. I, I don't know that if you had told me three years ago that I was going to be like a Tom Pidcock apologist slash defender, but I I just get kind of tired of everyone discounting him. And I I get that you look at him vis-a-vis Wout Mechu and Psychocost. You're like, okay, he's not as good, right? Those guys are otherworldly. You look at the road, like, you know, Pajakar is on another level, you know, in terms of what he's able to do across the disciplines of road. And then you have Wout and Mechu, but like, Pickcock is doing really, really well, and he is the best mountain biker in the world. And basically, the crux of my argument is uh, subtweeting uh, a commentator. Really, it was like I disagreed with that, but then someone like came in hot and was like saying that Pitcock isn't even in the top ten most versatile riders in the world. Is throwing out names like you know, Voss, who's like thirty five and like couldn't ride a mountain bike to save her life, and like riders who haven't won anything. And I was just like, come on, man. Uh, but like crux of my argument is like if you're going to be versatile, mountain biking is so much harder, and it's so much of a skills based thing. Like, and it's also fitness. I, I just struggle to consider you a versatile rider if you can't ride a mountain bike. I think we've all seen on our local scenes the roadies who come into cyclocross and who are cat ones a year later. Love cross, not that hard. Like it's ver- you know it's just not that hard. Mountain biking is so hard. 
um, I, I mean, I, I, I alluded to this in my story, but I remember I was a Cat 2 cyclocross racer. I'd done really well. I'd do a mountain bike race. And some guy in a friggin' Hawaiian shirt with like a fanny pack on is just dropping me in mountain bike. And I was like, wow, that, that's humbling. I mean, it's so hard. Everyone who's done it, shout out to Maria Larkin, who tried racing mountain bike this year and said it was the hardest thing that she's ever done. And, you know, she's won cyclocross national championships and raced World Cups. So, and Elizabeth, you're agreeing with me. So I, I, I like the I feedback am. I'm getting here, but just respect what Pickcock's doing. And yeah, he might not be as good as the other, but like he's really, really good across three disciplines and he's won world championships in two of them. That's pretty damn good. It's pretty good. I was just checking the inbox. John for Huel just um, chimed in here that you left out his EMTB uh, World Championship as well. Oh, true. That's right. Which I gotta say, I'm sorry. I feel like the E thing has to go. Like they had like like eight women in the field this year. Like that's a joke. Like I know it's the industry pushing it, but like there were other things that belong in Olympic Super Worlds that are not E mountain biking. Um, Zach, I totally agree. I mean, I think mountain biking is super hard. Much respect. I think, like, again, Pitcock has proved he's very good at this. There were some off-the-cuff comments in the commentary that he apparently said if he had to choose one bike for life, it would be a downhill mountain bike. So I'm hoping he actually goes even further in this multidisciplinary dominance and races downhill. I've been waiting for one of the cross-country guys to go over Vanderpool, who's like big, big motocross guy, is also you know he's threatened before that he that he wants, yeah. wants to do DH. I would love to see this because I mean we have Hattie Harden doing it on the women's side, and it's it's awesome. Like I love to see that she is doing full on World Cup downhill. Um, but yeah, it's it's mountain biking is is really demanding. It's a skill set that you have to work on deliberately you cannot just power through and it's super cool to see somebody doing this in a multidiscipline fashion and zach my answer to your question about who else might be a contender is none other than blanca katavas who i think may be the kind of person who takes the the triple crown uh as it were what if she what if i mean she has it it like Puck has done really well, <laughs> like at the mm-hmm. elite level. And I, you know, I think that's why she gets the nod right now is her success at the elite level this past year. Um, but is, is Blanca Vosh going to race cyclocross? I mean, like she doesn't like running. Like, can you get on the phone and be like, can you keep doing this? Can we, can we learn to embrace the suck of running? Blanca. I know. I, maybe, maybe she will, or maybe Worlds needs to come back to the U.S. where there's no running anymore. Anyway. Perfect. Hey, a couple, a couple more in there just to, to to bolster your argument that I was thinking about while you were talking. If we just go to, to Belgians, you know, we we I can think of three off the top of my head who tried mountain biking and did it, I think, just as training, never really took it too seriously, but never really succeeded. You had Tom Mason out there who would show up and do a couple World Cups every year. You had Quentin Hermans, who's proven himself on the road and in cyclocross, who, you know, never was able to really get the 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 results in mountain biking. And there was another guy who really wanted to be a mountain biker and just found it wasn't something that he was that great at, uh, who did okay in cyclocross, and that was uh, Sven Ness. Mm-hmm. Belgian national champion. And Mariana Voss 
Yeah. And Mariana Voss, like when she was at her peak dominance in all the disciplines, was on the record saying like, yeah, I tried mountain bike racing. It's really hard. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to just keep winning gold medals in everything else. But also congratulations, Zach, because uh, just as that emails coming in on the comments for for this story on the bulletin there are about four others in there too so you've you've definitely struck a nerve getting a lot of engagement on this one so that was uh that was nicely done and we have bullets and readers engaging with each other in the comments so that's I, that's part of the fun part if you're not a subscriber yet we also have a slack channel there's great engagement um it's a really fun community as we get towards cyclocross season i think that's been my favorite part of it is that it's a respectful fun community there's not like the the anger and negative comments that we get from from so many uh things but yeah i mean also you look at like our two most two of our most recent women cyclocross world champs just blowing people out of the water and really str- i mean i'm gonna say fundamental struggling but she didn't do great like compared to puck like and selena alvarado couldn't crack top 50 in mountain biking so or top 30 someone's gonna fact check me i think she had some decent but like non-factors after just being utterly dominant in in cyclocross and i think it just speaks to how hard it is to race across disciplines and also i uh, you know the final point about puck is they threw her in strada bianchi she had the good road results she has like one other road race as a junior and she finishes fifth to me that is the ultimate sign of versatility that like hey we're gonna throw you a discipline you don't even know how to do and boom well and 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 to, just to sort of finish on on this thought you know, I was, I saw somebody else online told, you know, the, the best jokes, of course, are the ones that more than one person is going to come up with because they're probably that obvious. But the just the question of if Ineos is the best, you know, is a better mountain bike team than they are a road team at this point with, uh, you know, from Provo and also uh, Pitcock winning world championships and in, in mountain biking. But on the, the serious side of that, you also had Puck up there. At, if Vanderpool learns how to, turn right then maybe he would have been up there as well that's another road world tour uh alpacin dissenic that's sam gaze yeah, sam gaze also i was gonna on say that what team, team is yeah. gaze on I, i'm glad yeah. you knew that I was right. yeah. so again there <laughs> we got Alpecin. um yeah. you know um i know fem's uh been doing all these races for for yumbo i hope that these teams not to just make a joke of it but i hope that they're seeing from the success that it pays for them to invest in these programs and that maybe we can even get more of these just road centric teams to say hey maybe maybe investing in in mountain biking and i won't even assume cyclocross because we know that's just a joke they're not going to do that uh maybe that's a good thing and maybe we can expand our our programs to also include mountain bike programs like granted the only reason Ineos is racing mountain bikes is because Tom Pidcock wanted to race mountain bikes only reason that uh, Alpacin is doing is because Matthew Vanderpool wanted to race mountain bikes and the the great thing about them is that they're really good at it so they do well and then you want to invest more in it and then they bring in Pauline and and they're like yeah we got a mountain bike program look we got Tom Pidcock and then she's able to do it so you know it really again it, it, that that success is able to sort of build those programs so that's that's my hope is that 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 continues well and i feel like Pauline is on Ineos because to be a mountain bike program on the world cup circuit you need women and men. And this is a a lens into possible avenues toward equity. I'm not going to make any 
grand proclamations that were anywhere close to getting there. But one thing that the mountain bike side of the sport has done right is say, if you're going to do this, if you're going to make a team, you cannot just have a men's team if you're going to be at that top level. And so I don't know. I don't know if that's why Pauline's got the, the contract with Ineos, but there's no Ineos women's road team. Cyclocross also has that rule. I mean, I yeah. think, yeah, it's true. I just it's feel true. like too, like a lot of the pr- progress in the sport has come through cross and we get, you know, again, discounted. Um, I know, yeah. but, but I think cross took it from okay, mountain fair. biking. Cause I think okay, the mountain bikers fair. did okay. it first. All right, fair. Yeah. Re- regardless, but, it'd, be, it'd be great if they continue to grow that program. All right. I think we did it. We're only a little bit over. So, we did it. uh, but we're under the usual mountain bike media pit time limit right. so we we split the difference yeah uh by the time this one gets out you'll get uh, another episode either the week after that or possibly the same week we'll we'll see how it goes but we're gonna we're gonna start our cyclocross coverage next episode and uh if you want to get in touch with us well first thing go to cxhairs.substack.com sign up for the bulletin get a head start on that read what we were talking about that zach wrote for this week and then we'll be ramping up the cyclocross coverage going forward Uh, and i think we did it thanks guys that was fun yay